Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Okay, we're live here with East Meets West. Uh, about to get crazy. I'll let Bo take over here. <laughs> All right, guys. We're back for another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast. And as he already kind of introduced himself, I'm here with my cousin, Mason Martonic, and one of my good friends, Michael Palladino. What's going on, gentlemen? Oh, just hanging out. Getting, What's up? Getting ready for the first day. Yep, getting ready for the first day of rifle season tomorrow in Pennsylvania. And uh, sitting down here in my basement, a little bit later start than we'd like is... Uh, we're going to have to get up here in about five hours, but that's kind of the way we've done the first day rifle for quite a few years, I guess. Should we say why we got a half an hour late start on this? <laughs> yeah. Um, Mason, do you want to take over? Uh, yeah, these uh, Michael and Bo here are getting ready to go out for a long day's hunt tomorrow, and I'll be going into work for hopefully only an hour or two, and then my grandpa will hopefully call me to come take care of his deer now that he's in a this he got his disability permit he'll be shooting from his bedroom window <laughs> calling his grandchildren to come take care of his deer hopefully first thing in the morning yeah that, that'd be nice but the, let's start the real reason why we're starting late now <laughs> that you completely uh redirected the podcast there. He, he did that very like smooth he didn't want to answer yeah i know so michael do you want to tell him so yeah we sat down <laughs> here bo got us a couple cold ones just to yeah, I'll let things flow here, and Mason decides to break his glass and spill it all over the carpet, not even a minute into sitting down here. So we had lost a team member here in the first beer, broken <laughs> glass. Yep. I got cut real bad. No yep. big deal. Yeah, ho yeah, hopefully we won't have to sue Mason, but we'll see. <laughs> Free carpet the basement on his dime. I know, lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what? Uh, We'll be recording here again, like I said, from the, the the basement here of my parents' house, I guess, and and <laughs> um, we're gonna get into a, a few different topics here. And first of all, kind of starting out, when I first started going out west in, in 2016, Mason was uh, one of the first ones that that I called with my brother to to go on that hunt and. And we and I, I called him for a good reason because he's too dumb to say no, and uh, <laughs> it ended up so he ended up going out with the, the first trip out west. And I've talked about kind of how that trip went in the past a little bit, but then um, the following year, Michael and Mason went out to Colorado to hunt mule deer, hunt high country mule deer early archery season there, and which was kind of interesting because michael i mean you're relatively new to to bow hunting in the last few years right yeah i picked up a bow uh more or less after college i uh, moved down to york pennsylvania didn't have a lot to do so i was hanging out with a couple of buddies down there and uh Bo, mason they all hunted archery and these guys down there did so i decided to pick it up uh didn't really know much about it so i had to teach myself did a lot of hunting with mason just in the past a lot of turkey hunting we didn't do a lot of deer hunting together but Spent a lot of time in the woods and we're pretty unsuccessful hunting. So we decided, seeing we're so good in Pennsylvania, we should try out in Colorado. So it was kind of a joke. And he asked me if I wanted to go. And I said, yeah, I'd go. And he's like, we're going to be going to 12,000 feet elevation. I'm 
pretty familiar with the out west. I was out there for Wyoming for a while, so figured I'd give it a try. Pretty good adventure and good way to kick off uh, my archery hunting by going to one of the hardest places to hunt, get to the high country. It was pretty cool, though. So Yeah, so your first, like, real bow hunt besides did you do any bow hunting in pennsylvania before that yeah i i spent uh a season in maryland uh, i saw a lot of deer spent two or three days in pennsylvania because i didn't get a lot of time to sneak up home to hunt but spent a lot of time in maryland and my first real true week of hunting was with mason at twelve thousand feet i never actually spent a week of hunting in my life and actually spent two weeks i uh, 16 days yeah yeah so yeah, Mason he, Mason was a mastermind behind that. So yeah, first cool. first hunt out west, basically somewhat new to, to bow hunting, and you go on a 16-day backcountry hunt, do-it-yourself, backpack, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> hunt for mule deer. And both and the stags. Yeah, somehow got lucky, but I'll, you're kind of skipping the whole part of Mason doing a lot of planning because I, I, I didn't hunt, so I had to learn everything. And so Mason was doing a lot of the e-scouting. He knew what he wanted to hunt, where he wanted to hunt, so did a lot of hanging out and trying to figure out where we wanted to go. I think he ended up picking the unit and uh, did a lot of scouting, and he said, get ready. It's going to be tough, so a lot of training. Yeah. Mason, what uh, what made you decide to want to do mule deer after going for a year of elk? Uh, to be honest with you, mostly watching high country mule deer videos on YouTube, so I, I was definitely into the idea of being able to uh, – spot your game from a long distance and then being able to sneak up on them and make a stalk and kind of have one-on-one with the animals yeah in there yeah that so that was uh, uh i'm sure interesting because like i mean in pennsylvania the way we're hunting deer and stuff you're not spotting stalking whatsoever because it's thick country and it's not you can't see you know more than 100 yards in most places let alone the distances that you guys were you know glassing up deer and stuff out there so it's just, just something kind of, you just, like you said, from watching YouTube videos and stuff, you wanted to give a shot. Right. Definitely. Uh, like the most, seems like hunting Pennsylvania is more of a, a mental challenge where you're sitting in a tree stand and it's a matter of whether you see your deer, your deer could walk hundred yards from you and you don't see it and you feel like you're completely out of the game when really you're actually very close. Yeah. Where in, uh, you go high country mule deer you can see them from far away and it's a completely different challenge with playing the wind and sneaking in there without being seen it's uh incredibly different and uh i really like that style of hunting one thing you said there is you know in pennsylvania you're 100 yards from the deer you don't know you're 100 yards from the deer and you feel like you're out of the game we're out there you're miles from the deer and you're seeing them and you feel like you're out of the game you see them but you're like that that's an impossible stock where in pennsylvania it's the exact opposite they're so close to you yet you never know it mm-hmm. so you're like it's just a completely different world the, the way he sold it to me he was showing sent me a couple of videos he's like check this out and just the high country is pretty intriguing and then to sit there and think that you can hang out you know hit, sitting there with your buddy talking looking through the glass and spotting scopes all day and glass up a big buck and it's go time that was pretty that was pretty intriguing i thought that was going to be a, a great great first hunt out west and i uh, i don't know how much i don't know how much you had to twist my arm to go out there but it was yeah it wasn't was, much it sounded sound pretty exciting so <laughs> i figured i'd go for it yeah and 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 so like like, like i kind of alluded to earlier you know mason went out with with me and kurt 
the previous year and we were hunting elk at a little bit higher elevation than you typically hunt elk and kind of dabbled in the high country we didn't you know go up there a whole lot the first year um but i know all of us were kind of like consumed by the thought of just being up above tree line at that kind of the height of elevation and everything to be able to to attempt to put stock on game and i think our first year do we even see any mule deer up there i don't think so no no we didn't and and so you just decided uh to give it a shot and go and and kind of pick a a random unit and and see what happens so what when you when you're going to kind of you know pick a unit or do whatever what was your reasoning behind the unit you picked i mean obviously we're not going to talk about the unit but as far as like what what made you decide that we don't talk we don't tell what unit we're in no no <laughs> you guys can get a hold of me i'll tell you no. <laughs> uh, it's mainly between uh just looking on like the go hunt uh filtering system and then reading on forums and looking at nearby units and different success rates and trophy qualities and record books and the good, uh, one good tool there is on google earth i know everybody uses it but just scrolling back through the years to see, try to find a year that has pictures from when you're going to be there. A lot of the pictures are spring and fall because it's easier to take pictures, but you can find pictures from August, and that's a good helpful thing to find because you want to know what the high country's like. If the high country's burn out in 2016 in August, chances are if it's the same type of summer in 2018, that August is going to be burnt out. So going back through those that year slider is a pretty good tool to have. Oh, for sure. That's, and that's, a, that's a great point because for a while I was looking at the the unit that we went to, I was looking at the one specific basin. I was like, man, this, this basin is going to be muddy. This is a perfect basin for a uh, high country mule deer. And I was looking at it, looking at it, looking at different ways we're going to access it, where we we're going to camp to glass this basin. And then, uh, the map I was looking at is from like October and it was, there's some snow in the basin. And then I went back and I looked at a map from August or September and it turned out that basin I've been glassing and thinking it was going to be the best basin in the whole world it turned out to be nothing but a giant rock slide. Yeah. <laughs> Basically nothing but uh, marmots were going to live there. So we, with that unit, when we went out there, we were, um, I'm going to kind of jump ahead a little bit, but kind of get on that same note of scouting. We're heading up and we picked this unit and we had uh, a primary basin, a backup basin. And then honestly, kind of like, well, if it doesn't turn out, this is where we're going plan kind of just your Hail Mary at the end of the, the end of the, uh, not really the end of the your trip. Your A, B, and C kind of. Yeah, I wouldn't even call it C though because we had A and B and if it didn't work, let's go figure it out. But in this region, yeah, it wasn't a true plan. So, but uh, our A plan was quite a hike back and we got back there and Mason's like, this is the, this is where we're going to camp. This is where I want to glass. And we changed it up a little bit because you got to while you're out there. But it was pretty impressive. All of our scouting that we did and he did, he literally had the group of trees picked out that we'd see our big bucks in. And we set up in a different spot than we wanted to, but we couldn't see that spot real well. And no joke, D first sit we sat, we saw three big mule deer bucks. And we just looked at each other. It was before the season started. And I don't know if it was more exciting that we saw big mule deer bucks or we saw big mule deer bucks exactly where we thought we'd see them. Yeah. So that was just like, wow, that really worked. And, and that and was that was what in the end of August you went out there, right? Yeah, that was the this opening Saturday. I don't know, remember the exact date, but it might have been the twenty fifth, twenty sixth range. And we were out there Thursday, Friday before the season, and then Saturday morning, the season opened up. 
uh, we saw the same box and it was go time and it was it was pretty darn cool to be like hey this is probably where we're gonna see bucks this is probably where we're gonna be bedding and uh, let's set up to see it before before we get into that let's talk about how you guys got your gear back in there oh my goodness <laughs> or how we didn't get it in yeah <laughs> I'm almost embarrassed to go ahead Michael well, I'm glad to see that Remy Warren just did this, so I know we weren't the only idiots that thought it was a good idea. I'm not calling me by any means, but <laughs> I'm so glad that I saw somebody else make this almost mistake. So we decided, you know, Pennsylvania hunters, how do you get your deer out of the woods? Oh, you go get this deer cart. Strap that thing to the deer cart. That deer cart, you can take it anywhere. <laughs> Up, down mountains, doesn't matter. Across rivers, cricks. Doesn't matter, that deer cart's going. So we're like, oh, yeah, we can get up there. It says no bikes on a trail. It doesn't say anything about deer carts. Like, all of, <laughs> there is no land management unit that specifically rules out deer carts. Probably because the people that made those rules used it once and realized how stupid it is. So <laughs> we strap all of our gear to it. We look like a homeless crew heading out in the woods with all of our, like, belongings on this two-wheeled game cart bungee cords and this and that and rope and paracord wrapping it all up we made it maybe 500 600 yards down to that gut no not even yeah and our bag blew apart (laughs) we lost half our gear (laughs) and we got maybe four miles left maybe more the rest of the trip, uh, someone was following the deer cart, picking up gear as we were cruising yep. along. So the whole way up, we got a guy puller and the guy in the back picking up the gear we lost. <laughs> the whole way out, got set up through the deer cart in a tree. We both said to ourselves, never again. I, I could carry 100 pounds on my back way easier than taking a 30-pound pack and 100 pounds on a deer cart. It was not a good idea. I mean... It didn't make our lives any easier. It was very stressful, and it was it was hilarious, though, because we look like quite the pair. I'm glad nobody saw us. Well, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure that was good. All right, let's fast forward back to where you guys got set up. You got oh, yeah. all your gear in, and you dumped the deer cart. And you said you saw these, you know, these big deer. And I know one of them was really near and dear to Mason's heart. Nah, right? Yeah, <laughs> he still has dreams of it. What would you call that deer? Call them stickers because he had stickers on stickers on stickers. <laughs> unreal. Being Pennsylvania hunters, we got to name our deer, right? Yeah. So we get out there and we see this mule deer and Mason's about passing out behind the spot and scope. He's shaking. He shakes like I do in archery season. He's flipping out. So I'm like, what are you looking at, dude? So I get through the spot and scope. I'm like, oh my goodness. Here, I wasn't even looking at the one he was telling me about. I was looking at the monster three by four that he was with. And I get on stickers, and he's flipping. I'm like, that is a big mule deer. I mean, I don't even know. Mason spent hours looking at the spot and scope, so he can he can say how, how big it truthfully was. I saw a couple times, and I, it was impressive. So that was Mason's deer, and I told him, go after it. Anything it takes, go get it. Yeah. Uh, basically, this, this deer, I, I'm not going to give it a score just because I have absolutely no idea, but it had splits on its splits and stickers off its stickers. It is just unbelievable deer. And we watched it for a while and pretty much watched them bed down. And it definitely wasn't their, uh, their permanent bed for the day. It was, uh, I think it was like a staging bed where they're going to just rest for a while and maybe cruise back to their primary bed. And 
Michael and I were so pumped up. I was like, I told Michael, hurry up and go stalk it. And he said, no, you saw it, you go get it. So I didn't argue with him at all. I took off. (laughs) He literally had his gear off as I was saying, no, like gone. (laughs) I was like, all right. I was so ready to stalk these bucks. Yeah. It was his spot. He picked a spot. He said, this is where they're going to be. They were there. And there's no way in heck I was going to put a stock on that. And I was like, go, dude, that's yours. Get it. So I was watching, and it was pretty cool to see him sneaking around. I didn't see him sneak too, too much, but I was keeping an eye on the mule deer, and I was keep had a pretty good idea where Mason was. And I knew how pumped he was when he left. I figured he was going down, but so you can tell where how he got into it. Based on my uh, reactions when I saw this year, I figured if I somehow I did get within bow range, there's no way I was going to be able to come back to full draw. I'd be shaking so bad, but somehow I managed to get within bow range of these bucks. And uh, I'm I'm cruising right in where, well, f- first of all, it looks com- the terrain looks completely different once you stalk in. So if you're looking at them from a distance, once you loop around, you stalk in on them, it's like you almost have the terrain that we were in. You almost had no idea because the way the trees were and the different rock slides. I ended up cruising down the wrong rock slide, first of all, realized that, turned around, went back up and realized I walked right by the bucks to begin with, got back up close to the bucks and, uh, there's a lot of pine cones that were real crunchy, and I was sneaking in on them, trying to be as quiet as I could. I dumped my boots about prematurely, about 400 yards too soon. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'm sneaking in, trying to be as quiet as I can. I look down, try not to step on pine cones, and I hear something running right by me. I look up, I think it's a bucks, and I go to come back at full draw, and it's a fox. Red fox cruising right by me, and I was like, oh, I was pretty, <laughs> about had a heart attack. So I kept cruising in, and... And then uh, I heard another st- stick snap, and I was like, that's got to be the bucks. So I, I got ready, and by that time, I don't. they probably watched me sneak in on them. Or first time pretty much stalking any game in my life, to be honest with you. And uh, so I don't know if they saw me or if they smelled me. I thought I had a good win, so I'm, I'm thinking they saw me. And I heard a stick snap, and I saw him jump out across an opening, and I came back to full draw. They're at, I don't know, 65, 70 yards, and they never stopped my opening. And they jumped right, right through, but... Just seeing uh, two mule deer that magnitude for the first time in my life that close was something that unique. Them. I, I know that night, I mean, we saw mule deer the whole rest of the day. All, all you heard about was the view of, I think at that time, the 5 by 4 was there. Right. I think it was a 5 by 4 and stickers were ran you off. You had photos of that one, didn't you, or one of the deer? We had the 5 by 4 and a 3 by 4 We didn't get any pictures of the stickers because, honestly, the first two or three days of hunting hunting we didn't even think about taking a picture through a spot and scope and never even really like we said you know we weren't really worried about taking pictures and looking back probably wasn't yeah i just i just got i kind of had in my mind that we were gonna have more opportunities on these year which we did on the three by four and the five by four but mm-hmm. stickers that was uh we never saw them after yeah you did you had one more chance at them at like 110 oh yeah that that night really that night. last late yeah but uh after the first day we never saw stickers again yeah he he didn't get that big by hanging around where people are pushing on them. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. To, but I was sitting down in a valley, uh, more Pennsylvania-style hunting, just kind of hanging out, chilling on the end where I knew deer were coming through from watching for two days. And I came back up, and we heard bugling down at the bottom. So I figured Mason wouldn't chase them. We had no elk tags at the time. Too. Yeah, we had elk tags. So I figured Mason was chasing them. So when I got back to the tent, I truthfully really wasn't expecting to see him for a couple hours. Because I know how tough it is to get down in that bottom. Well, I didn't know how tough. I saw how tough it was. And when I saw him back at the camp, I'm like, dude, why? 
you know, we, we he's like, you hear them bugle? I was like, yeah. Kind of, kind of joked around, and he's like, well, I saw stickers, and he told me where he saw them, and I knew where he was sitting. I was like, man. He's like, I was just one bluff too far, maybe not bluff, but one rock slide too far to get a, to get a stock or anything. So it was pretty cool. Went to bed pretty excited, and uh, kept chasing that five by four and three by four. I mean, we we spent nine days chasing them. Well, that after that first night, I uh, had that failed stock on stickers and the other bucks. And then uh, right last late, I heard those bugles and glass. I actually glassed that bull down on the bottom, and it was a. I don't know if it was a five by five or six by six, but it was a pretty big frame elk, like bigger than you'd almost expect on an over the counter unit. And it was right last late. I said the hell with it. I think I'm gonna go after this. And if it's a big deal if I have to walk all the way back up here with my flashlight for a field stock, I knew it was pretty low percentage whether I'd get on it in time before dark. And as soon as I dropped my pack and dropped my gear an extra layer i started i started tearing down after it and i looked up and that 100 yards away is when i saw those three three big bucks of stickers and the other two bucks and uh they're cruising up right behind me just like just a little bit out of range you know so we get back to the tent or back to the tent that night i meet up with michael i tell him about it and i'm just ecstatic about even seeing deer this caliber i don't think either of us expected that no i remember when we were sitting in the tent that thursday night we were talking about what we we're gonna see and uh, our our goal bucks were well below what we were seeing. Even that three by four, that three by four is so impressive. I mean, that three by four points wise was a small spot, but just tine length was which was insane. I mean, that three by four had tine length that was just insane. So we really changed our game plan on what we were going to be shooting at. You know, we were out there maybe trying to just shoot anything legal. I was running, you know, anything that was a buck and, and we quickly changed our mind that, you know, we're in a good spot. Let's, let's, let's hunt hard. So we changed our game plan and started hunting different area and not different area, but glassing from a different area and, and, uh, put ourselves in a spot to try to kill a big, big muley. So it was pretty cool. Fast yeah. forward eight hours later, Michael shoots a cow elk. Yeah, I shoot a cow elk. <laughs> no, you know, it didn't really happen the way I'd ever expect to shoot a cow elk, but was it was about, epic to say the least. Yeah, yeah, I was just about to put on uh, different pants to go stock a this five by four muley that we watched all day, and I had uh, more rain pants on because it was pretty wet ground that day. I can't remember why. I don't know if it rained or what, but so I was changing my clothes and getting ready. And all morning, like maybe not all morning, but for like an hour, we were talking about how we kept hearing something behind us, and and we get, both kind of really played it off because we we're sitting there chilling, hanging out, talking to each other eating breakfast, cooking, you know, we're spotting mule deer that are maybe, I don't even know, I don't know, a thousand yards, 2,000 yards, I don't even know how far, but not a mile, but a good yeah. long ways away. So we had no worries about them knowing we're there. And uh, I'm changing my clothes. I don't even have my release on, nothing. And uh, we see movement through, I see movement through the woods. I was like, Mason, there's an elk. And I'm whispering to him. I was like, dude, throw me your range finder. So he throws me his range finder. I throw my, my release on. And the elk was cutting across the top hill in front, uh, over top of us and going down to this real steep drainage. I'm like, heck with that. It's not going down there. So I tried cutting it off. And I was literally, like, Mason's laughing, but I was literally like cruising down this ridge line, kind of not really running, but kind of hunched low and tried cutting it off. And I ranged where the elk was coming out. And it said 72. Ranged it again. It said 22. <laughs> ranged it again. I'm like, heck with this thing. Spikes so I did the old spike on the, on the range finder. <laughs> not my equipment, not my problem. 
threw it on the ground. Skipping across the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> One full draw, and I'm like, I think it's 40. I have no idea, but I'm literally shooting through a car window so I can make it work and just let it rip. And uh, I watched it sail. It looked like it was perfect, and I thought I hit way too low. I thought I even missed it at one point, and my gut was, like, instantly dropped. But then I turn and look at Mason, and Mason's, like, big eyes, like, kind of, like, give me a fist pump. And I celebrate. I'm like, I must have hit this thing. If Mason looked like that, because I didn't quite really know. I had a pretty good feeling. I knew it was flying left and right, like, as perfect as it could. And... then we range found it. It was a little bit over 50 yards, I think. So I, I guess about 10 yards too low. But I was pretty familiar with the bow I was shooting. So I did a lot of practice with it. So I, I wasn't too, too worried about 40 yards. I knew I was going to be good. And let it call when he went like 50 yards maybe, I think. Not even. Yeah. And uh, backpedal a little bit. Michael's one person that no matter what the situation is, Michael's usually calm, cool, and collective. And at this point, I've never seen Michael act like this in my life. He's just absolutely losing his mind. Yeah. And meanwhile, there's, there's still these, we're out in the open now, and these two mega giant mule deer around the wild, wide open. They can probably see us jumping around. So I'm trying to kind of keep Michael half calm. And no, I'm, then I'm, I'm trying to call Michael down, and I hear the elk fall over. And I'm like, and Michael had, Michael had no idea yet. So I kind of knew, but I didn't want to get his hopes up just in, just in case. But. I had no clue after I shot and I saw Mason's face and I kind of knew I, I probably got a good shot on him, a good enough. I got, I, I just, just pumped. I came over, I ran across the hill and I was hogging him. We were, I just like, heck yeah, I just shot an elk. He's like, dude, this is awesome. And we were pumped and granted it's only cow elk, but it's our first, my first elk, my first bow kill. Oh, both of us are super. Yeah. My first bow kill is an elk in Colorado and we're sitting like 11, five. Yep. chilling hanging out like i have my cook my cook stuff sitting out I like pop tart wrapper sitting there <laughs> like i'm wearing i'm pretty sure i had when i shot this elk i'm pretty sure i was wearing my long johns like i'd even have pants on i'm pretty sure when i shot this thing i can't quite 100 percent remember but i know i was changing so it wasn't the ideal situation where you think like all this gear all this preparation i'm really that's just you know took the chance took the opportunity <laughs> that that it was presented and I've never been around an elk at 40 yards, so I wasn't really sure how big it was. I was like, man, I hope I didn't just shoot like a little cow, but I knew it was a good-sized cow. And when we got up to it, this thing was, oh, it was way too big. It was a beast, and it, from where he shot to where he, where he died, it was maybe 25, 30 yards. That was it. And it was a highway of blood. When, when he when he shot it, it was facing, like it was ready to go over an enormous cliff. Luckily, it turned around and went back uphill <laughs> and fell over. <laughs> <laughs> if it would have went over that rock slide, I wouldn't even be here right now. Oh my gosh. It was bad, but it was pretty cool. I wasn't too worried about it when I shot. What was it like when you walked up to it and one, you know, saw the size of it and then two, never, you know, gutless method, mm-hmm. an elk or any animal in your life before? What did you expect kind of when you first saw it? Well, Mason and I kind of just looked at each other and we, I mean, we were pretty pumped and, and we were so excited that I don't think it really even mattered to us. To be honest, I don't think we didn't really care. At least I didn't really care about the amount of work. I knew how much work I was going to have. I knew Mason was like all for it and we split up the tasks and we worked together and, and he said, hey, let's do it this way. And we skinned it together and then I cut the front shoulder off and we knew we wanted to debone it. So he's like, I'll debone if you want to just keep going. So he deboned front shoulder and I got the back leg off and when he was done deboning, I handed the back leg and we just worked through it, flipped the, then we flipped that baby over, and that was a that was a task. That's a big elk to roll over, 
and uh, definitely did some damage on the uh, tenderloins. I think we may have. There's a lot of tenderloins still up on that mountain somewhere. We did oh. do a real good job taking those out. I think we uh, we definitely got all of it, but it looked like spaghetti when we pulled it out for sure. Is uh, didn't do the best job, or but we took it to the the cooler yeah. that next morning, and you would tell that they were uh, they didn't see it that next morning. We told them about it, and you just you could tell they it wasn't impressed. Yeah, no, I mean I told them we never did gutless method and. and uh, nothing against the gutless method. I absolutely love it, and I'll probably do it tomorrow if uh, my girlfriend shoots a deer. But you definitely got to you got to take your time when you're pulling those tenderloins out with the guts in there because you don't got a lot of room, and you got to make it work. Uh, no ripping, no tearing, but it was cool. Took it to the butcher. It took us 12 hours from shot to to from the shot to till we got to the truck. Uh, a lot of effort. Probably the worst I've ever felt in my life, but the best I ever felt in my life. Oh, for sure. I know when I looked at Mason, he asked me, he goes, this is the hardest thing you ever did. And I said, oh, my goodness, by far, I've lost 12, 13 pounds, you know, in a night for wrestling to make weight. And, you know, that that was easier than doing this, uh, pulling this elk out of that, hit, out of that mountain. I mean, down through two, va- two valleys and to the truck. We were yeah. probably 200 yards from the truck, and we met a cool guy there. And we were really helping, hoping he's going to help us out and, he just walked alongside of us as we <laughs> literally died going this last, the steepest part. Maybe not the steepest, but one of the steepest parts. Yeah. And he walked alongside of us talking, but he did lend us uh, his bed, the beds and uh shower and some beers and food. But by the time we got to the truck, we were just like, let's go, let's go down, t- down to the, the city. And I uh, dropped him off and got back up there the next day and kept hunting. Pretty, pretty cool experience. Was yeah. That when, when you got sick? I... Mason, you got sick the first day, oh, yeah. and I got sick on Sunday. I got sick on breakfast skillets the first day. Yeah, breakfast skillets, I highly, I, I you know, I, I can't even remember. I think I had breakfast skillets that morning, but I remember specifically, I'll never in my life ever have another <laughs> egg meal. I don't care who makes it, how they make it, whatever it is, I'll never have another egg meal that's dehydrated. They make me sick thinking about them. They're just not for me. We even packed in. This is kind of interesting, but we packed in our uh, hot sauce to make these better, and a fox stole our hot sauce. <laughs> we didn't even get to use it, so we had to choke the very first night. Our very first night, of fo- <laughs> some some animal of of I don't I want to say it's a fox. I don't really know. It, Furry animal. It could have been. Yeah, it was. Could have been. I mean, heck, it could have been one of those like little gerbil things that we saw. The marmots. Oh, even smaller. I don't even know. It wasn't even a marmot. I don't know what they were, but I, th- I think it was a fox or something bigger. We also saw so many bears on this trip. It was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah but yeah, that little rascal stole our hot sauce, so we had to go back to choking breakfast skillets down. But yeah, I got sick uh, pulling the elk out. Um, we are carrying front shoulders out and back straps. No, 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 I take that back. We are carrying hind quarter and back straps out on our first trip out to our camp. We're, we took two trips to the camp because it was real, a lot of blowdowns, a lot of tough hiking. And I got, I was getting real sick on the way up, uh, throwing up, just having some trouble because I pushed myself pretty hard to get that elk out to where we were. Yeah, we even cooked up uh, yeah. fresh tender, the good tenderloin that we didn't turn into spaghetti strings yeah. uh, yep. on the fire trying to get you fueled up. And and then so Mason had to go be my pack mule and he went back in and took the rest of the elk out on his trip. We met up at the camp, the camp there and I, started, I felt a lot better after that and we loaded up and took it out in one trip. 
I had a couple challenges on the way out, but we made it. Uh, I think we ended up packing the elk for 10 hours, I think, total. I think it was on our back, more or less, pulling it for 10 hours. You you shot it. It was down before 9.30 in the morning. We didn't get the, tr- the truck until it was after 9.30 at night. Yeah. And we still had a long drive into town. Yeah. We didn't get into town, and we threw it on some ice. I know we laid down at, like, 1.30, 2 in the morning, got up at 6 or so to the butcher at 7, back up on the mountain by 9, and back hunting again by 10.30, 11. It was we were keeping busy, but... I just want to put some emphasis on uh, if you're hunting the, any, probably most of the western states for the trails or anything's like really rocky, do not use a deer cart. Most definitely not. I would much rather make two trips with it on my back than do one trip with a deer cart and a little bit on your back. Or did you put it on the deer cart to go out to meet then? We oh, tried. Yeah. It was we we lost. Mason had to go back about almost a mile <laughs> uphill <laughs> to go get about that. We lost a whole entire uh, bag of. Uh, hind quarter we lost a whole hind quarter we didn't know where we lost it but we knew we lost it so we he went back so he had to do a couple trips on that hind quarter that hind quarter got some miles put on it and uh, <laughs> uh by the end we were carrying it and just said how i mean it was just it was just not not the method of uh elk removal but with that much weight every tiny rock rips your arms out of your sockets when you're yeah. pulling it it's yeah a, that too it wasn't a fun experience so yeah so is that why like when you're watching youtube videos and stuff you're not seeing a whole lot of deer carts in them that's probably it we yeah. thought we were doing something you know we're gonna do the latest greatest people are gonna be looking at us for information <laughs> <laughs> I, we, I mean i can't say we ever really we we didn't really ever care or anything like that but we're like you know what we're we're doing something that no one's done before and we're going to have this idea. We're not going to tell anybody about it, but this is how we're getting farther than anybody else. And that is not the truth at all. That was definitely the worst decision of our, we made some mistakes, made some good mistakes, made, learned, learned some stuff, but I definitely learned a deer car is never going out West with me ever again. <laughs> so that's pretty cool though. So how about the, the rest of the trip then? So did you get back on to any of those mule deer that you had, you know, seen earlier in the trip or anything? Yeah, I think we hunted them for four more days, five more days, pretty yep. hard. Um, oh, yeah. And then uh, we kind of blew out that basin pretty bad. Well, as so we Mason can tell us. Yeah, we made story. big some mistakes there. Where uh, it was mostly our inexperience in the high country, where kind of bit us there. Where we basically got back on these bucks. We didn't see stickers again, but we saw the other two bucks, the big three by four and the four by five, and we were kind of glassing them almost in the same spot every day. And we kind of learned that they almost had a routine where they're feeding up in the very tops of the mountains in the high country and then cruising down on this one, I don't know what you call it, an avalanche slide or whatever it was, where it's kind of a grassy. It was almost a grassy point between avalanche slides with some yeah, cover. Yeah, it's kind of a unique spot, yeah. but it was, it was like perfect bedding area. And uh, we kind of, we started to learn this. And then one day we decided... I was going to go in there and there's one pinch point where they'd, they'd walk through every morning that we watched them and I was going to get there and beat them to the spot and wait until they walked by me and shoot them and have the right wind and everything and everything was playing out right. And the one morning I did that, I, I would walk down there and it was a, basically a walk through a blow down forest, which turned into be a pretty miserable event and walked across there and Saw, got on some elk, could could have shot some cow elk, and then uh, went a little bit further and almost got a shot at what I thought was the two bucks we glassed up, and it ended up being a different two bucks. 
and I uh, I got on them, came full draw on them again. They never stopped in my opening, and this is down in the thick timber. And so, thinking it was the bucks that I originally went over there for, I came back to the glassing point. Met Michael, and Michael was watching the whole time. He's like, "What are you? What are you doing?" Yeah, I was like, "Dude, they're laying right there." I'm like, "Man, what what happened?" So he's telling me this. I'm like, I, "Did you go back again?" I or no, we called it quits that day. Yeah, we decided. That was just, one of the mistakes I would say probably. Yeah, one of many. We, we said that, <laughs> that one mistake because Mason just did this miserable climb. And I'm still glassing these bucks up. They're still laying in the exact same beds we saw them in the day before. And we knew it would, they did the day before. But we decided, you know, let's let them be there today. We just blew the bottom out. Let's go back and let's go try to find some different kinds. That was against to- my better judgment there. Because I was thinking the next morning we'll just get back on the same pinch point and have the same plan and do it again. And uh, so... Mike wanted Mike wanted me to stalk back in on him, and I wanted to I wanted uh, mm-hmm. try and get back in that pinch point. We we ended up agreeing to go back and that try that pinch point again the next morning. Well, we hunted the afternoon. I think maybe you saw a cow elk, and I saw a uh, uh, muley doe, okay, and I had a fox doe. that I could have petted. Oh like yeah, you, you had that fox that about it attacked you. Yeah, I thought it was going to, and uh, <laughs> in the midst of this fox, what I really truthfully really believed was going to try to attack me. I had to find a little elk shed, a oh, little two-point right, elk yeah. shed. And um, this fox was, like, false charging me. I'm like, <laughs> you're 25 pounds. I'm going to kill you. Like, it's about kicking it. Yeah, so I was winding up to kick this thing. <laughs> I, I would never want to kick an animal. Like, expect those fox out there, so, they're so colorful, and, and they're such cool animals. But this thing kept messing with me, and I'm in a perfect <laughs> spot to kill a big mule deer. And it had to get, and it realized uh, it probably wasn't a good idea to hang around, so he scurried off. But in the midst of that, I found this little elk shed. And, but, yeah, so came back. and Not real eventful, but the next day, Mason, we were pretty sure. So I said, Mason, get ready. You're you're going. First yeah. thing in the morning, get ready. So that next morning, I uh, basically same plan again. I, I hike over there and make the death march, climb back up to where that pinch point is. And uh, on my way up there, the bucks ended up being like an hour ahead of schedule. Yeah, they, they there beat you way before I got to the pinch point, and they got through the pinch point before I even got up there. And I think a, a little tiny black bear, or like a twenty or thirty pound black bear, like a, a tiny cub. Maybe it's like fifty pounds, but a tiny cub was in, out in that that grassy meadow down there. And the bucks were there an hour early, and they never actually went into the grassy meadow. And I'm trying to give Mason hand signals, like, dude, you're late but yet they're still in there somewhere. I just don't know where. And I didn't see him that well, and it just didn't turn out. Yeah. Actually, I think we got these two days mixed up. So that happened the first time I tried to get to the pinch point, and the second time was when I jumped the other two bucks, and I thought yeah, they were the bucks we were stalking. Yeah. And then I came back, and Mike wanted me to stalk him, and I didn't do it, and that ended up being the last time we saw him then. Yeah, that was the last day we saw those deer. And then uh, the next few days, all we saw was, was bears bears were the mm-hmm. main big, story there big bears colorful bears big bears little bears brown bears blue bears i don't know about blue <laughs> we, we were watching these bears he, cool he must have been eating too much breakfast skillet at that yeah, point he started seeing blue bears he was hitting those skillets too hard but we saw uh we were watching these black bear and, and uh we saw this black bear just hauling across this hillside running as fast as the black bear could run 
and it looks like groundhogs running. They're just whole bodies rolling. And well, these bears were hysterical. And they're just, we're just like, what in the world is this thing doing? And this bear just runs and slides into this big hickory, they're not hickory, uh, huckleberry bush, and just gorges himself. And he's laying there just taking armfuls, and we're laughing. We're like, that bear just literally ran 30 miles an hour across this hill slide, hillside to get to the next bush of berries. So we were laughing. That was pretty cool, but I uh, came back to the truck then and switched up the game plan to a little truck tent hunting and put it in perspective how many bears we started oh, seeing yeah. is like it must have been these berries were just getting ripe when we were out there mm-hmm. and one of the last mornings we were in that basin I, I stood in one glassing spot and I, I could see like six or seven bears at one time from one spot just glassing this basin and Michael also saw a number of bears and some yeah, of them were the same dozen. bears some of them were different bears mm-hmm. That's unbelievable. That must have been a really good year from like, I think with, they got a lot of rain and everything. The berries must have been perfect because while you guys were out there, we were, you know, in another uh, adjoining unit and we're seeing bears like crazy like that too, all feeding up in the high country. So that was definitely a good year for bears. Pretty cool to see them. They're, they're, they're big animals. Yeah. They move across those hillsides pretty well and they eat all day long they really don't have any other cares but to eat they're so obsessed with eating i feel like you if we had a bear tag we both of us i think easily could have tagged out that year no no because if you would have had a bear tag it would happen what happened to me this year i wouldn't have seen them yeah i see 17 bear the year i don't have a a bear tag and then i go out with a bear tag and there's not a bear in the country (laughs) see that's your style luck my style luck is i see them I just can never draw back on them to shoot them. <laughs> I have this blackout moment. So I probably would have saw them. I just would never, probably would never got a shot on them. <laughs> but, oh, well. they're But, yeah, they're so cool to see. Uh, Mason had a pretty good encounter with one. Then we went truck camping. One, uh, was that the one that was popping his jaw at you? I, I had uh, two pretty hairy bear encounters within about five minutes of each other. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh was that before or after you killed your mule deer? Before. Okay, so uh, so I was carrying pepper spray, not necessarily bear spray, but pepper spray, so they have to be a little closer before I can really hose them down. <laughs> <laughs> so this whole trip, I have this pepper spray, and the, the only time the entire trip I don't have it, I have the closest encounter, probably one of my hairiest encounters in my life with, with a bear. It's still a black bear. It's not like it's grizzly or anything, but... Uh, Harmless. I, I, was walk, I was walking through some real high grass, and... I'm walking and then all of a sudden there's bear shit all over the place and there's these berry bushes I know they're feeding on all around me. I'm like, I'm about to have, I can see like 10 yards. I'm like, I'm about to have a, mm-hmm. a bad encounter with the bear here. And I, I go about another 10 feet and I can see a giant brown blocky head and little tiny ears and beady eyes staring at me. And I'm like, son of a gun, I'm roasted. <laughs> so, so me and this bear having to stare down and I'm like put my really knock my release just for self-defense since I don't have a pistol or my pepper spray or anything. And I was like, Oh, it's either going to, he's either going to run or he's going to kill me. So here we go. <laughs> Take one step, one step towards him, And, uh, luckily he t- takes off running. And, he, and this is like a, I don't know, maybe 12 to 15 foot encounter. And he takes off running luckily, which is kind of what I expected. And uh, he goes in the super dark timber, and this is right before dark. I was like, oh, that's good. That's where we're after the walk. So I go walking right past him, 
make it through the dark timber and I hit another open area, which is pretty much the same with like, it's like an open meadow, but it's still, it's really high grass and berries and I'm, I'm walking and I, I'm almost on the home stretch back to the, the tent for that night and see another bear. I was like, Oh God, here we go again. Right where I have to walk. And, uh, now it's like 80 yards away. It's pretty much dark. I just want to get back to the tent and I'm like, get out of here, bear. So I was basically trying to shoot away <laughs> and uh instead this bear just stands up on his high, hind legs and decides to bluff charge me yeah <laughs> and it's, it's it's flying right at me and i again i get my release of my bow i'm like i don't know what this is gonna do but here he goes here he goes nothing and that it stops like 20 yards from me and then turns around and takes off mm-hmm. and uh head back to the tent and then uh the next day michael has a pretty cool experience with uh some mule deer yeah so we uh, hunted that day in a completely different area, and I was traveling down this one rock side that made a real real cool little pinch point, and I was like, man, it's looking like there's a lot of deer sign here, and I just felt like it was a good spot. So I posted up in this, uh, there's a pine row, and it was younger pines, and it was right on the edge of this grassy field, and it was right on this pinch point. I, I just felt like it was in a good spot, and uh, as that story, you know, you're always like, oh, it's a good spot, and it never turns anything out, but. So I get myself ready and not even maybe half hour, I don't know, I see some movement coming up through and it wasn't really coming towards my direction. So I hurry up and shuffle over to the next pine row over, which is actually a little bit farther down. And I, and I get to where I feel is a great spot, but I lost the sight of the elk or the, the uh, mule deer. And a couple minutes later, the mule deer are coming up. One of them's coming up over the hill and it sees me, which I think it sees me and it's staring at me for a while. And there's a spike. And it ended up just coming back up and feeding through. And then there's two doe that were with it, were feeding through. And I was debating on myself, you know, it's the last night. No, it was the second to last night. And we're leaving the next day. So I'm shooting one of these because the, the tag, you know, anything goes. Right. So um, I'm debating. I'm like, do I, don't I? But I'm videoing all these mule deer um, with my cell phone, just kind of, you know, zooming in on them, hanging out. And and uh trying to decide if i'm gonna shoot one or not and i mean these these mule deer are like 12 yards but the wind's perfect i mean the wind was just absolutely perfect and um i decided i wasn't going to but i just for some reason i thought i heard something behind me so i just look over my shoulder and i saw horns didn't really see how big didn't really didn't really care to be honest um throw myself in my pocket put my uh, release on and where the mule deer was, I was in this pine row. So I had to step out from the pine row, which put me at like less than 10 yards on the spike in the doe, but like 20 yards from where this the mule deer buck was. And it was my only option. I had no option, no other options getting right close to dark. So I knocked my release and I draw back. So I was drawn back ready and I was pointing at the ground. So as soon as I came out, I just hold on him. And I'm trying to look down my peep sight and I cannot figure out like this is happening like quick instant. So I'm full drawn this uh, muley. I can't figure out why I can't see my peep sight through my, my housing. I was just a mess. I was shaking so bad. I couldn't figure anything out here. I'm shooting right-handed trying to use my left eye looking through my peep sight. So my head's cocked over the string. I was all tangled up and this isn't my first day shooting. I don't know what I was doing. I just have this blackout moment. And I finally get myself organized enough, which is this is real quick. I just put it right. He's quartering to me. And I just hold right off the front side of his, his chest and let it rip. 
I knew we made a great shot just because I heard him exhale. I just heard him do that like lung shot exhale. The the death groan. Yeah, kind of. It was just an interesting sound, and and it was my first <laughs> real close on the ground. So I I back out. I uh, didn't mark my spot like a rookie. Uh, back out, go get Mason. Uh, Mason comes over and I just come and give him a fist pump. He's like, "You get one." I'm like, dude, I smoked a muley. I was like, I don't even know how big. Don't really care. I think it's three. I said, I think it's three by three. Might be three by four. I don't know. So we went and tried to find blood, and I had no clue where I was. Zero. I knew the rock slide I was on, and I knew the pinch point I was on, but I could not find the trees I was in. So I looked on my phone, which. I was taking pictures on, so I used GPS coordinates to find where I was at. So I took my GPS coordinates off that picture, found where we were, and it was just too dark. It was super dark. There's no moon. The full moon just was the week before. So we went went back. It was 30 degrees. I think it was getting going to get down to like 15. So we went back, got up first light, went to go get my mule deer, found exactly where I hit it, tracked it for probably 200 yards or so downhill. If that, yeah. And I... Uh, we started, we lost some blood. So I was like, man, we lost blood. So we're looping around kind of a little bit. I was like, hey, I found my mule deer. And he's like, what? I was like, dude, it's right there. No, it's, it's, uh, how, we found it because you saw that bear. Yeah. I was like, right there. He goes, where? How do you know? I was like, because there's a, there's a brown black bear right on it. He's like, what are we going to do? I think I just took off. I just like, I'm getting my mule deer. This, this black bear reminded me of like uh, an extremely obese bulldog the way yeah. the fat rolls were on it when it was running away when you chased yeah. it off that deer so i that's pretty comical yeah it's just this i kept calling like groundhogs running like groundhogs because <laughs> they just get these big rolls going and so i chased it off my mule deer and at this point this bear is pretty sure he killed this mule deer it's his mule deer but i i didn't give a crap so we're sitting there maybe like 20 minutes later i'm sitting there holding the have lawn you know cutting this deer up my bow is laying behind Mason and this brown bear comes, well, black bear, but it, uh, cinnamon color comes up and it's like looking at us. I think you saw it first, didn't you? No, you, no, you saw it first when I was deboning. I'm like, Mason, Mason, <laughs> my bow. Like I'm standing there holding a, a flimsy blade. Like what am I going to do with this thing? And flimsy blade close. in the front shoulder. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty close. So it never did come in, but it was, it was close and it was pretty cool. And, uh, couple minutes later mason sees the three by three come cruising behind us yeah and by that point it was like last last couple of days of the trip it was like last couple of hours and you just shot one i was yeah. pumped up to try and double up with you and i took off after it yeah emptied the quiver <laughs> yeah which, <laughs> uh, unfortunately didn't get any shots off on it but uh i thought you missed had no not that time <laughs> the next day i missed oh okay <laughs> but uh that one I, I got a couple stocks on it and almost got Almost got a couple of shots, but either range finder wasn't was catching different branches and throwing me off. But never got a shot at that mule deer. But uh, finished getting Michael's mule deer uh, packed up and carried it out back to camp. And we went back to our buddy Charlie Brown's campsite and celebrated a little bit and told him about the hunt. And yeah, Charlie Brown was the guy we saw the very first day when Michael shot his elk and. He just walked beside us and told us if he had some of his younger guys from camp to help us. <laughs> he would have. He would have. But uh, he's super nice guy, super nice guy. Nice to uh, spend camp with him. And uh, really made it a lot easier being uh, that f- back in the backcountry for that long without any nice meals or. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had hot dogs on bread. Yeah, sleeping in the dirt 
Mm-hmm. So we got a nice meal from Charlie Brown and some celebration <laughs> beverages and uh, went back to camp and I hunted that afternoon. Uh, I think I saw some deer, some does and fawns and some more bear. And then uh, next morning I went back out for a walk. It's now we're leaving. Oh, it. That, yeah, this is we're leaving at lunchtime that day. So went for a walk and it's raining a little bit and it's super quiet for walking. So I'm just kind of just stealthing through some thick trees and I come up and uh, I'm starting to get on some beer and I'm sneaking through these little herds of deer and I see a little buck and I'm watching it and kind of stalk within range and get a range on it and it's uh walking towards me now is i don't know i range maybe 35 38 yards and it's uh walking towards me and then uh, it comes out in an opening and i shot for 35 yards still and now it was at about 22 yards so i shot right over its back and uh it took off and i uh, went down to collect my arrow or my arrows, because I missed it twice, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was collecting my arrows and put in my quiver, and I started stealthing through. To, uh, I could have shot it again, actually, but by that time, I was so mad that I already missed twice, I didn't care. So uh, then I jumped the big 4 by 4 again. It was like, it was, uh, almost didn't expect it after going so many – we went probably eight days without seeing a, a night, mm-hmm. real nice buck. Mm-hmm after all the bears moved in. So I saw that jump that four by four, but he was, you would tell he was a smarter buck. He didn't give me any chance of a shot or anything. He took right off and I tried to catch up with him, kind of getting some pinch points, trying to cut him off and never saw him again. That was pretty much the end of our trip. Yeah. So long ride home, lots of meat. Yeah. Yeah. Which the mule deer and elk tasted good. We had it at camp last rifle season. Right. And it was, uh, extremely good and, and, cool to have there and that's that sounds just like one just an epic trip from that standpoint and and just hearing the stories of of you know the trials and tribulations of your first mule deer hunter pretty funny yeah it was not not alone not only the first mule deer hunter, i mean it's my first hunt literally I mean, yeah rifle hunter my whole life and so for that that was a great way to start i mean i'm hooked forever now on archery and probably hooked forever on high country mule deer because of it it was if you can go awesome. back yeah <laughs> which kind of leads into the <laughs> next story here um what, what i kind of wanted to get into next um oh first we got to make sure that you realize remember that mason got my elk off the mountain here so mason's first hunt got my elk off from the mountain for me so the second hunt mason has saved my butt again but we'll so the, the so this past year now we're looking at 2018. You're like we're gonna hunt high country mule deer again, and you chose New Mexico. Mm-hmm. What was your reason for choosing New Mexico versus Colorado after all the luck you had in Colorado? It was mostly because of my work schedule this year, so I I wasn't really able to go. We wanted to go opening week of mm-hmm. Colorado uh, high country mule deer season, and. Because mostly because we realized the pressure or whatever it was from last year, we didn't see that many great bucks after the first week. So we wanted to be out there opening week, and I couldn't do that this year because of my work schedule. So we are looking at the schedules of different states and how it would work best for our schedules. And basically, New Mexico was the only state that really fit the bill for that year. Yeah, I started doing a lot of research and, and uh, uh, on Go Hunt, kind of going through everything, just trying to find dates that worked for us. It's like, hey, Mason, we have some opportunities in New Mexico. Actually, Bo told us about New Mexico has some good opportunities. 
So I started looking. I was like, man, that could work. We could make that schedule work. It's going to be tight, but we can make it work. So then Mason and I sat down really, and, and we didn't look at, we didn't really, I don't think at first we quite cared what the chances of getting unit, uh, the, the drawn in units. So we first went and found units that we thought were going to be perfect for the type of hunting we wanted to, wanted to do. And that was basically chosen just from looking on Google just Earth, like Google just Earth. finding some terrain that we wanted to hunt. And then once we found some units, uh, the first couple of units had zero opportunities for us because everybody else liked those units. And then we found one good unit that we thought was perfect. Actually, I don't even want to say we thought was perfect. It looked, it was the pristine high country that you think of when you think of high country spot stock. And it was, pristine was definitely the right word for that. Yeah. Even, was, even once we were there and put boots on the ground, it was, it was everything we thought beautiful. it should be. And it was yeah. perfect. Like these basins were just unreal. So how many deer did you find? Oh, uh, zero. <laughs> <laughs> They're pristine except for the uh, in the high country, counts. anyways. Yeah, yeah, none in high country. Uh, it was pristine hunting. First, pristine glassing. The glassing was perfect. The best glassing ter- uh, terrain you can get. We turned up zero mule deer, and we did a lot of time through the glass through the scopes. So oh, yeah, but yeah, it was it was tough getting out there. It was tough. Uh, I picked Mason up in Texas. Drove the whole way down to, I don't even know, was that Amarillo, Texas or something? That's where you picked me up. I don't yeah. even know if Amarillo's in Texas, but I feel like that's where I picked him up at. Yeah, yeah. George Strait wrote a song about that. It's in Texas. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I picked him up at some podunk airport and drove out the rest of the way to New Mexico. I think he drove the rest of the way, which is three, four hours into where we were going, maybe four or five. Six, uh, seven. Six, seven. And we get there and <laughs> camped and hiked in, and we were just so pumped. It looked perfect. Um, Yeah. Then Mason can go from there. Uh, basically, uh, I don't know what time it was. We got up to the trailhead. It was maybe 10, 11. Yeah. Between 10 and 1 o'clock in the morning. I don't know whatever it was. And uh, we camped out right at the trailhead that night, hopefully thinking we were going to get kind of acclimated right there. As soon as we got out of the truck, I don't know about Michael, but I could tell that we were lacking some oxygen in the air mm-hmm. at that point. And we camped out that night right at the trailhead. We woke up in the morning, packed up all our gear. And uh, a local guy came up to the trailhead and he stopped and he's talking to us and he's telling us about all his mule deer and elk hunting stories from basically around the area and it got us really pumped up. Yeah, until his little rat dog jumped in my car and scratched up my new seats. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but he got us pumped. Yeah, we let that slide. So we, uh, he's basically telling us we're going to be seeing big bucks whole way up the trailhead, all the way up in the high country and that. It really wasn't the case. We were hiking all the way up into the high country, and we seen minimal, basically minimal deer tracks going up. Uh, the closer we got to the high country, up towards the peaks of the mountains, the more elk sign we started seeing. Though, yeah, good we did see sign. some deer sign, but it's mainly elk sign. And we got up to basically where we decided we wanted to camp based on Google Maps prior to the hunt, and uh, basically dropped our packs and walked over to the base. And we wanted to gla- start glass, and then it's like, man, everything looks perfect almost like how we'd uh expect it and we were re- really pumped up about uh our glass and point where camp was and where we were gonna get water and everything else and thinking there's only one other vehicle in the in the at the trailhead so we were like man we're gonna have this is gonna be perfect you know so we're set up where we basically have a couple different basins we can jump to in glass but one specifically is the one we were focusing on and mm-hmm. uh glass at night didn't turn up a single thing and it was kind of a it's kind of a 
a little bit of a shock to us based on the year prior is like every every time we glass morning and night we were seeing we were seeing game whether it was elk or sheep or yeah. mule deer or whatever we were seeing game yeah. so is uh the night the night before opening day and we didn't see a thing in our entire base and we have a giant view of it so we were, we were a little confused but we still had high hopes for the morning and opening morning michael wasn't feeling real well yeah no i was i was a little sick i i mean i drove more or less straight through to new mexico for the most part uh solo so, and i was running off uh subway yeah. you're not the best food to be you know preparing yourself and no sleep so Fresh. yeah so i uh how'd that work out for jared jared i think he's in jail yeah he is yeah <laughs> So right there's my little plug to my girlfriend's mom. She owns one, so you know. Right <laughs> but uh, she doesn't listen to this. Yeah, no, we'll cut that out. But yeah, so I lived off subway, and I was pretty exhausted. Uh, then we hiked the whole way up after you know short night sleep. Pretty tired. I uh, didn't have the best off season training going into it by any means. Yeah, uh, Michael had uh, Lyme's disease and then also knee surgery that summer. So yeah, he was. He's, his time was really crunched as far as training goes. Yeah, ACL, PCL, meniscus, and that was in March. And then I had to bust my butt. And then a month before we went out, I got Lyme disease. And I finished my Lyme disease medicine the day before I was leaving to New Mexico. Uh, so that sucked. Kind of kind of disappointing when you put all that effort into it and, and get sick like that. So I uh, get there and... Got worn out pretty bad hiking in. Probably a little more than I should have. Probably should have taken it a little bit easy. But everything we were hearing, everything we were seeing was just perfect. So I just pushed through it and said, heck with it. Uh, I probably didn't eat what I should have. I drank a lot, but I probably didn't eat what I should have. Uh, pushed too hard, but we got there and it was great. It was drank water, let's just clarify that. Yeah, not beer. Yeah. I wish, but nah. So yeah, we get there <laughs> and everything was perfect. So, you know, we worked hard and got there. And, and in Colorado, if you worked hard glass and you saw something... Or New Mexico, the harder you looked, the farther you looked, the more you like, the more you tried to see game. Uh, you just nothing was turning up. We were just turning up nothing, and we went to bed that night a little bit bummed out. But the next morning, Mason got up bright and early, and I said, "Hey, I'm just gonna kind of hang out here for about an hour, and at daylight I'll come down and sit with you." I just kind of wanted to relax, and and uh, so I did that. Came over the hill, and Mason's like, "Hey, man, there's some big, there's a big elk down there." So I sit down and glass it up, and I, I'm pretty sure it's a six by six. Yep. I think we were debating it as a five by six or a six by six, and this is a big elk. And uh, fog started rolling in. We saw a guy, the only guy in that basin, go put a stalk on it, and it was about to be probably the most epic stalk we could have saw because we watched it all from like third person, and the biggest, thickest fog I've seen rolled in, and we had about ten oh, yards yeah. of visibility. Unreal. It was, uh, went from crystal, crystal clear glassing conditions to watching this herd of elk with a big herd bull in it and a guy bombing off the mountain after it. And then he, the guy stalking, it got within 200 yards and within a matter of, I don't know, 10, 15, probably 15 seconds, yeah. the entire basin was just fogged over and visibility was down to maybe 50 feet it was one of those most. cool experiences where as the clouds crested the top of the mountain they just roll off the top of the mountain and you know they literally look like they're just tumbling down the mountain these clouds and they just filled the whole basin in like one wind gust it was, su it was super cool to see but uh, i didn't get to see the guy put the stock on mason talked to him later got the whole story 
I just wasn't feeling that good. So I think I went back and went to bed that afternoon. Right. It's, it's, it's kind of watching like a, a sweet action video on HBO and right when it got to the best part, it cut to commercial. commercial. <laughs> it was right there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we never got to find out what happened until later that, that night. Uh, so basically the rest of the day is pretty uneventful, glassing around, not really seeing much, nothing, no deer. We didn't see any deer that day. No. Walked around a little bit, saw a little bit of deer sign, but not, not what we'd expect up there in the high country at least compared to what we were seeing in Colorado the year before. And uh, later that night, I ended up uh, climbing all the way to the top of the mountains and running down the ridge to basically just glass in different basins for just hopefully see some mule deer coming out to feed in the afternoon and had a super close encounter with a bighorn sheep, which is a nice, nice ram, not a mature ram, but I don't know, maybe three-quarter curl ram, and uh, they are a lot bigger than you imagine them to be when you're that close. So that was a super cool experience for me, never seen one before that close, and then uh, cruising on down the mountain, glassing different basins, and uh, a guy walks up behind me, and, well, first of all, I get to the one basin I was really excited about, and find out there's cows up at 13,000 feet elevation. Yeah, like cattle. Right where, not, I was ex- cow, right where I was expecting cow. to see like sheep and and uh, hopefully some big mule deer bucks. There's cows and nothing else. And uh, a guy comes up behind me, and it turned out being the guy that's stalking those elk. And he was out there all by himself hunting elk. His name was Cannon, and uh, it's talking to him. And he was the one that stalked that elk, and he got close on him, but uh, they moved away from him just before he got a uh, got a shot. And then he was chasing some bugles later that morning, and then. He was out there by himself glassing bulls. So picture walking three or four miles uphill the entire way to the top of this mountain where his camp was, cruising down a ridge line at 90 degrees, about a mile and a half, and then dropping down the other, the opposite side of the ridge, another 1,500 feet elevation. That's where he was hunting, and he was by himself. So, Well, that's what he's saying. This guy's crazy. He's doing some crazy terrain, crazy yeah. distances, solo moving putting a lot of land behind him this he guy was, was going hardcore. he was going hard so i i can only imagine if he he wasn't new to this either and it was very clear when i talked to him so he's i'm sure he was able to handle whatever he got himself into but he was from what i watched him do and saw where he was going by himself and ready to pack a bull out a bull elk not a mule deer a bull elk where he was going is pretty extreme so this guy I have a lot of respect for him, but it was, it was just cool to see someone like that where I was. I didn't expect to see anyone where I was. How I felt like I was pretty remote, and then seeing a guy like that, it's uh, you almost have a lot of respect for guys that are back there with you. Yeah, so it was it was pretty cool. I talked to some people. I talked to a thirteen or fourteen year old girl that was going to shoot a big. I think she drew a bighorn tag. Uh, she shot way bigger animals than I've ever than any of us have ever shot. She was a well more seasoned hunter than us. I think she was fourteen. She shot uh, what was that? What what was that one? Uh, ibex. She, yeah, she shot her ibex. I think it's a triple trophy down there. I think is what they're saying. It. She shot two legs of it, and her last leg of it was the uh, bighorn. She's fourteen or fifteen years old, and Jeez. she was going the same country we were, the same elevations, the same amount of rain we were in, with her dad, and this girl was just super hardcore. Uh, I was looking at some pictures with him. Uh, they, he, we were just kind of uh, shooting a breeze, and 
he straight up said to me, he goes, I've hunted here and I've scouted here and I haven't seen a mule deer. I was like, really? He goes, I've hunted this. My buddy's hunted this. And we have, I've never seen a mule deer up here. I get back to see Mason. Mason, we start talking. I'm pretty sure he got the same type of information. We both talked to people that you could kind of maybe trust and uh, had that it wasn't their first time hunting in the high country. And when they both say there's, yep. you're not in the right area, you move. So right. we moved. Yeah. Which is, uh, it was kind of disappointing because you, uh, just the, tr- the training we were in, it just looked like absolute mm-hmm. epic mule deer habitat. And then when, the more people we talked to on that trip and we dropped down to lower elevation and, uh, talked to more of the locals, they said, uh, poaching was a, was a really big deal in that area. So I think when, uh, they get bad winters and the snow starts pushing the mule deer down in the elevation, it's, it's like the locals must just slaughter them. Yeah. So that, that kind of ruined our hopes and, and not really our hopes, but kind of, uh, we were a little bummed out. So we found a spot, lower elevation, set up camp and I got real sick. Yeah. Kind of sucked. Yeah. What, what happened with, with you getting sick? That's kind of the next thing I wanted uh, to get into there. So I, I was pretty worn out more or less from the week, <clears throat> from the drive, from the hike in and, and trying to get to different areas to see, you know, we were trying to scout as much as we could up there in a very short time because we knew it was a great area and just weren't turning things up. So I probably pushed myself harder than I should have, but I wasn't too worried about it. I, I thought I knew my body pretty well, so I thought I could push through and, and deal with it. I mean, we we felt pretty terrible in Colorado before too. Yeah, on the yep. previous year, so we, we didn't really think anything of it. I felt terrible when I was in Wyoming. I felt terrible when I was in Colorado, and I just dealt with it the same way I did in New Mexico. Um, I actually felt the best I ever felt that afternoon for lunch because we went down to town, got some food. I uh, uh, shot the breeze day. with some people. Yeah. yeah, shot the breeze with some people. Got some a new game plan, and went up and got real sick. I I uh, felt like I. Had a, just a real bad cold, and I started coughing up blood, and it just wasn't good. And uh, so I just felt like I was getting a cold, so I went to bed, went to sleep, told Mason, go hunt. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to sleep. We'll get back after it tomorrow morning. And uh, I think you came back. You can tell from there because, to be honest, I don't remember a lot of it. I, I just, you know, I was, I, was pretty, I was pretty exhausted, honestly, is how I felt. Right, yeah, so I... Uh I went hunting that afternoon. I came back to the truck and opened the door and woke Michael up. And when he woke up and I opened the door, I could just tell something was wrong. He just seemed, he seemed like he was out of it or something was wrong. So I told him, hey, maybe we should drop the lower elevation. And he just still seemed completely out of it. He's like, okay. So he off the, or first he was going to drive down off the mountain. And then uh, mm-hmm. his, I don't know if it's his awareness or what. It's, we both kind of decided it was better that I drive off the mountain. So I hopped in the driver's seat and he hopped in the passenger seat and he's slept a lot of the way down into town and we got a hotel down in lower elevation and, uh, kind of spent the night there. I think, I don't know if maybe your symptoms even got even worse. Would you say they got worse once you were at the hotel? I felt better at the hotel. I actually felt a lot better. Um, I still was coughing up. I mean, I was coughing up a lot of blood and I was having trouble breathing, but I was breathing a lot better. And I wasn't as foggy. My mind wasn't as foggy. Um, and I was feeling pretty good, which was related to the oxygen, you know. I was getting more oxygen in right. my body. So I was feeling better. And uh, did, obviously, probably what you shouldn't do is did some research online instead of going to the hospital. And read a bunch online. And it 
everything what it says what i had you know get to the elevation rest recuperate our hotel is still over a mile high though yeah i mean we're at 7200 i think at the hotel yeah so going from twelve thousand to a mile high we thought that was good but still yeah if you're that high it's still not ideal. so i ended up getting real sick and spent mason went hunting for another day came back to the hotel and i had zero i couldn't do anything i had zero energy i i could barely walk around i, I just it was i just didn't feel good and mason talked me into he's like you might want to go to the hospital so i was like yeah I'll go to the hospital, I'll get some medicine, I'll recuperate, and we'll go back hunting. And so we both agreed that's probably a good idea. So I went there thinking I was just going to get something for my headache. That was probably the worst part was my headache. Right. And uh, get in there, and it was, it was pretty pretty wild. I don't know if we want to. Do we want to go? Yeah, you kind of go into the, All right. what happened there. So I get to the hospital. I walk in, check myself in. Mason's hanging out with me. I didn't feel too good. Didn't tell my girlfriend. Didn't tell my family. Didn't tell him anything. Just kind of let let it ride. Figured I was fine. I'd be all right. Uh, go back into the room, sit down, getting stuff checked in. I just started a new job, so I didn't have my had my health insurance. Literally started the day before I went out hunting, so I had nothing. So they're like asking me all those questions, like trying to go through. You know, do you really have insurance? Don't you? Asking me all these questions in the middle midway through there. They put the uh, finger pinch thing on you that they put on for your pulse oxygen and your pulse and all this. And the lady's like, man, this thing's broken. It's not working. And so she goes and gets another one. Then once she went and got another one, another lady walked in and put it on. And this one's like hardwired. And she does it. And she looks at the first lady. And my pulse oxygen was uh, 41, I think, at that time. The first one was 39. First machine said 39. My second machine said 41. They looked at each other. They didn't say a word. And they walked out. I didn't think too much of it, and like six other individuals walked in. There was a bunch, maybe six, seven. No, no exaggeration on this. And they just literally scooped me up under my arms, and we ran down the hallway. And I had no idea what was going on. I'm in New Mexico. I'm in Las Vegas, New Mexico. It's not. I'm not like the greatest hotel uh, hospitals ever, and. They're just running me down the hall. I'm like, man, they really do it different here in New Mexico. They get after it. <laughs> like these, they, they don't mess around with their job. And so I, they throw me, throw me in this room, and they're just going crazy. There's people, a guy in the corner standing, little five foot three guy, and he's just directing everybody. You do this, you do this, you do this, and people are going crazy, running around me. I mean, I'm getting blood drawn, different areas, EKG hooked up, just big mask over my face, just pumping oxygen into me. And at this point, I really don't know what's going on but i know it's probably not good so (laughs) i just don't know really what to think of it because i went in there for a headache and this goes on and i have no idea what a 39 or 41 on a pulse oxygen meant so finally when they started getting it under control they're like how'd you get here asking me all these questions so i call mason and they call mason and i call mason on the phone and i'm already like not scared i wasn't really scared but i had no clue what was going on and when mason walked in and his face he literally looked like he saw a ghost i've never seen mason go from like he walked turn a corner he just is like looks shocked so i'm like what is going on with me <laughs> why are all these people flipping out like i seriously thought something happened from the time i got to the hospital till when they're there like i i thought maybe part of my face fell off i'm not even kidding when i say that like <laughs> i thought something very terrible happened because Everyone's looking at me like, what is, uh, so Mason looks at me and they're asking him all these questions and he's like nervous now because he doesn't know what's going on either. And they put his, him on the pulse oxygen and I don't know exactly, but I think he was in the sixties and they're like, holy smokes, we need to get this guy oxygen. So now I start to realize what's happening. We were both really low on oxygen and 
scary low. And Mason's like, I'm good. They're like, all right, if you're fine. They're like, so he he didn't take anything and just hung there and hung out. We're at 4,000 feet now. And come to find out, uh, I think anything below 90, you get put on oxygen for, for uh, your, if you're, well, if your pulse ox is below 90, you get put on oxygen. They told me like 75 is cardiac arrest. You can have cardiac arrest at 75. And uh, they, they say you, you you can be dead if you're below 50. And I was cruising around at 39, like not joking. You know, it's not funny, but looking back, it kind of is interesting that the guy that's in charge of me, you know, getting me to the hospital and everything's like below the stage of cardiac, cardiac arrest. arrest. <laughs> and we're doing like 60, 70 mile an hour, just cruising through town. <laughs> and I'm just, you know, thinking about going to get food before I get there. And they're like, we cannot believe that you guys walked in here. You know, how, how resilient walk in we here? are. Yeah, right. Yeah. I barely made it. I had terrible week on the hill. It was just cool. <laughs> Not cool. It was suck. But the doctors were just very con- concerned on how I got to the point I was at to get high out to get pulmonary edema, altitude sickness, which is lazy man syndrome, smoker syndrome, to then go and be cruising around with 39 pulse ox. It was like completely oxymoron. So they had no clue what was going on. So they banned me from going to high country. No more high country, no more flying. So until I get all checked out. So it might change my mind to how I hunt. So that's how we got here on this conversation. But yeah, I still, my goals are high country mule deer. So, so what, is, is there anything that you could have changed for that not to happen? I think one thing, now knowing what I know, the biggest problem I had, you know, my knee sucked. That was t- tough to train, but just getting off oxy, not oxycodone, uh, doxycycline for three weeks and having Lyme disease, it's probably not a good idea to go put yourself in an environment of that nature. Uh, Lyme disease is terrible as a disease. And the doxy was a treatment for Lyme disease, just so correct. everyone knows he yeah. wasn't doping on it. Yeah, no, doxycycline's the medicine. That's a common medicine for Lyme disease. I just wasn't hanging out taking <laughs> it on the weekends. Um, but that medicine is, I'm going to say, is worse than Lyme disease itself. And it, 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 For anybody that's taken it knows you get the worst hangover on that medicine. Your body is, you just are a bum when you're taking that medicine. It, it's not fun. So looking back, the things I would change if I get sick like that, I'd make the decision and say, Mason, I'm not going to ruin your hunt. This is what we can do, but I'm, I can't do this type of hunt. Uh, and then also if you have knee surgery in March, uh, significant knee surgery and you can't get yourself in the position to train the way you need to, these backcountry hunts are not easy. They're, they're not just, let me just go plan this this week and go do it. You got to bust your butt. You can do them. You're just not going to see the game you have to see. And you're not going to be able to Get yourself you in know. bow range. And to let me cut in, to anyone that doesn't know, you know, Michael specifically, if anyone else, you know, that would be going would probably struggled and probably just wouldn't have done it. But Michael's so boneheaded that <laughs> that he's, no matter even if he's not in shape, he's one, not going to tell you he's not in shape. And two, he's just going to go through and do it and not complain about it, which can be a problem. Yeah. So that, <laughs> that's a good that. point. That's yeah. a good point. If if your body tells you you can't do it, you you're not stronger than the mountain, and yeah. altitude is no joke. Yeah, you are not going to be being boneheaded in altitude. Being boneheaded in these types of environments isn't the way to get about it. You're you're not putting yourself any farther ahead. Yeah, I mean, I definitely 
it sucked and i wasn't about to tell mason it sucked and i wasn't gonna complain but it sucked yeah and now when we go out there again because i'm going to that if it's not what i need to do may i know mason can handle himself at the altitude i know mason can hunt solo i can sit i not sit but i can hunt at the car be more comfortable and then when he gets something we can make a plan from there and if I, I'm not going to say that's what I'm going to ever do, but if we're in this situation and something occurs of that nature, yeah, you, you, you got to recognize the symptoms mm-hmm. again. So basically, yep. some of the kind of takeaways from it are: is if you think you you're struggling from anything like that, not feeling right, don't push. Don't it. push it. Yeah, you, you don't gain anything. You actually you actually hurt yourself. You put your buddy in a bad situation where he's hauling your ass off the mountain. He's scared because he doesn't know what's going on. And it's not just you when you're out there doing these backcountry hunts. I mean, even if it is just you, it, it, you got to be smart about it. You're, you're putting yourself in a situation where if you're about to get hauled off the the mountain, the only way you're getting hauled off the mountain is uh, medevac. You're getting you're getting pulled off by a helicopter. No one's going to walk up there with a with the cart and and put you in an ambulance. No one's bringing a deer cart up there. Oh, if they do, I'll say, just take me out. Just don't even take me out on that thing. Just End put it. it down. Yeah. <laughs> Roll me off that cliff. Make sure it's high. But yeah, no, definitely a learning experience. Uh, definitely gave me a good perspective and on your personal body, what your personal body can do and what it does when, I mean, to think that your body says, I can't go anymore. Let me just fill your lungs up with blood. That's a pretty crazy, you know, situation for your body to think that's what's the best scenario for it. So your body isn't a joke. You got to take it seriously and uh, eat, drink, and rest when you need to rest. Gotcha. Yeah. And then the only, I guess the only thing else that I have to say from that is, is uh, we're planning a big hunt here in 2020 heading to Alaska, a little lower elevation. Yeah, and this is right, right now, Michael, I think is a good time to have Mason commit to it. Oh, because Mason hasn't committed to this. So 2019, Bo's going to be chasing elk and whitetail. Mason and I are probably going to be chasing mule deer by the looks of it, getting some good ideas on. Uh, so 2019, we're locked in on our plan. 2020, I said, it's moose hunting. Bo and I said, it's moose hunting. I've been making my calls, doing my rounds. And Mason hasn't actually, I think we told him twice, once or twice, and he kind of laughed about it. Yeah, he's never confirmed. Should he confirm now? Uh, I guess I'm in. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. I'll put it on the spot. I guess I'm in. Yeah. And we've been talking about it behind his back a little bit, but if we have to go four-man, we'll make a plan for four-man. If we have to make a plan for three-man, we have to make a plan. Yeah. Uh, I know there's a couple other... Uh, suspects i'll call them that we could probably twist their arm into it without really having to twist their arm yeah we kurt, can kurt said he's in yeah kurt we can throw him out there you know there's some there's some good candidates to go put yourself in a condition of uh moose the moose is a different the thing, different the animal. thing i'm worried about of it well, i'm not going to go Grizzlies. into too much detail no oh you no why me <laughs> you haven't had good luck with things yeah. and, and i'm pretty sure it, it's going to come down to a grizzly attack 100 <laughs> percent. so calling it now and most likely it's going to result in <laughs> you getting by and i'm done so <laughs> no 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 so how it's going to go and i know it's not good to joke about like things situations of this nature but i'll pack you out Michael. exactly <laughs> i know mason saved me twice now mason saved my life He's packed my elk out for me. He's been my cameraman. He's been my guide. He's got this down 
Mason will haul me out. Bo's left for the freaking for the Wolves, and I know for sure I'm getting out. I have no, there's no questions asked. If something happens, even though Bo and Mason are related, I know I'm coming out on that. How the hell do I get on Mason's good list here to get carried out? Well, probably a few more free beers. Kurt ain't taking me out. No, my goodness. Kurt's going to keep hunting. Yeah. We're going to have to come get Kurt like weeks and months later because he'll just like, he'll live out of his like a first light jacket as like a camp for the rest of his life. We'll put you in a raft, sing Kumbaya, and send you down the river. Or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give him a box of ammo. A rifle. Oh, and hell, he doesn't need it. Yeah. <laughs> Give him a little foreign So, I packed I Kurt out one time. He, he rolled his ankle tracking a deer here in Pennsylvania. I had to pack him out. Yeah, yeah you did. Yeah. You did. You've been, you've been a lifesaver. Literally. So, I guess with that being said, to be continued, this story is. But, um, guys, yeah. thanks again for coming on the podcast here. and Sure, thank you. Really appreciate it. Uh, anything else you want to add? It was decent. Yeah. Decent. Let's see what we can get with some guns. I know your bow's going out. Mason's done. He's tagged out. Yeah, Mason killed Cleaned a, up on a, a nice big nine-point. Anybody follows the, the Instagram page and see Mason's big nine-point that he killed there in Pennsylvania uh, a couple weeks ago. So I really don't care about him right now. Yeah. Um, other than that, Michael, you have a tag. Your girlfriend's got a tag. Yep. I've got a tag. Um, you know, shit's going to hit the fan tomorrow. So Yeah, Bo's been saying he has 100% chance. How many times have you heard that, Mason? About every day he went out. 100% he's getting one. And yeah. I love the, the uh, I'm getting a deer attitude. So that's Yeah, I mean, tom- I mean, honestly, we're about to run on three hours of sleep because it's about midnight right now. Yeah. We're finishing this up. Don't matter. I'm going to get in there before everybody else. 100% chance, success. Calling it right now. Yep. God damn it. I got to quit doing this. I got my girlfriend set up in a Taj Mahal tree stands, and she better be awake all day because I know I'm sleeping. So. <laughs> so she better get it done uh, alright guys time to sign off we'll yep. see ya yep. thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host Bo Martonic for more great content and to stay up to date visit eastmeetswesthunt.com Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt if you enjoyed today's episode please review and subscribe and we'll catch you next time